Welcome back, Blockchain Padawans. Episode 13 of the New Blocks is upon us. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to be diving into the stable coins. But first, we finally have some news that we can talk about, some topical topics to tackle. It's Elon and his buddies in China tanking the entire crypto market. Bitcoin, Ethereum, the whole kit and caboodle. We've been on a downward spiral in terms of prices, and it's been a lot of fun to observe the madness on social media. I have to admit, my friend. Yeah, it's been a it's been a little bit of a shit show there, hasn't it, eh, bud? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So y yesterday, Bitcoin's price was down like twenty five percent on the week, and uh, ETH was down like thirty nine percent on the week. Uh, it's been fun to get another little dip under yeah. the belt. Uh, some, some buy ops, definitely. This is this is really what crypto is like. Yeah. Everything, if if you're just entering this market cycle and everything's just been going up and to the right, uh, that's not really the the vast majority of time spent holding crypto. It's it's a yeah. bumpy ride typically, and we we're a bit overdue for a, a market correction. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess maybe didn't expect it to come under this specific set of circumstances. Uh, the, the reference to Elon is basically on news that Tesla is no longer accepting Bitcoin uh, as payment to buy cars. That was a pretty short-lived little experiment. They still are hanging on to their $1.5 in Bitcoin holdings for now. But rumor has it, based on further tweets from Elon, uh, next uh, earnings report, we might see that Tesla has dumped uh, a lot of that Bitcoin or even all of it. So who and knows? He's, what's he's going all on. over the place because yeah. he, he he tweeted. Uh, yeah, first it was that we're not taking Bitcoin anymore because uh, Bitcoin is bad for the environment. News to him, apparently. Uh, yeah. we, we've all sort of, <laughs> if you've been paying attention, that's that's what uh, proof of stake and, and Ethereum is attempting to solve. Um, but that that was the first tweet, right? And then it was yeah, he kind of hinted at like some other. Uh, uh twitter Low energy. user was like <laughs> yeah uh you know at first it was uh you know maybe we sold everything and then it was like oh uh, tesla has diamond hands emojis yeah. uh sort of well, indicating. so he, he's just playing games to see what he can do as well that they're in talks about using other cryptos that use i think 0.01 percent of the energy supposedly the bitcoin does which i guess some folks did the math and then cardano spiked because they thought maybe that could be it uh obviously teasing dogecoin maybe this is all just some big brain play for elon to introduce their own cryptocurrency into the market like a tesla coin or something like that and you know, realizing, hey, we got to have launching in a bull market's not so good. Let's bring it back to a bear market and, uh, you know, we create a problem. We can solve it with this coin. It gets mass adoption. There you go, Kevin. Billionaire yeah. Elon can, we can go to a trillionaire at, at, from a B to a T, baby. Here's why I don't like talking about price. At the end of the day, like if it was Elon that started this or this news that like China, uh, China banned Bitcoin again, yeah. which actually turned out to them just be reiterating a, a point that they made in 2017. So it was nothing new. It was like a retweet, <laughs> essentially. <Yeah. laughs> um, the, the This whole like the, the game that that Elon's trying to play or not trying to play of like seeing how manipulative he can be with market prices of stuff. He talks about Dogecoin and Doge goes up. He talks some shit on Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes down like there's probably something there. He's also just, you know, a part of a much larger narrative that exists in the world. Yeah, I I, uh, I try not to get too caught up in it. I think of it similar to like keeping up the, with the Kardashians. It's like 
I know that the price exists somewhere, but it's like, I'm just going to ignore that part of my brain and pretend I don't know about Kim Kardashian's life. Um, there you go. Good analogy. Anyway. Like the, the reality <laughs> aspect uh, of cryptocurrency. But yeah, let's dive into the actual content because today uh, we're going to talk about something uh, really relevant. And again, uh, another little piece of the puzzle, this stack that we've been building, uh, stable coins. You had to understand on the all the foundation up to this point to really get the grasp of stable coins. Again, congratulations for making it here to lucky number 13. But uh, what are we really diving into today, Kevin? What's the problem that stable coins solve well the problem that stable coins solve is solves is that you hold a bunch of crypto and the price drops 40 percent yesterday uh and your wealth just dropped 40 percent yesterday that might be fine for speculators uh and you know technologists that are focused uh more uh, they're more open to risk i guess mm -hmm. um but it's not great for grandma's pension, right? If if the yeah. price of it goes down 40% in a week. Um, and so like, that's why we need stable coins at a high level. Um, as, again, I've mentioned this, uh, but you know, US dollar is a very in-demand currency for good reason. It's a great medium of exchange. It's stable. Uh, you don't have to worry about the value collapsing overnight. Uh, and there's therefore global demand for US dollar. Well, up until crypto was born, you kind of really had to be part of the gated community of the walled garden of like people that are allowed to have like prestigious access to the US dollar. And with crypto and stable coins, anyone that has access to the internet now has access to hold value in US dollar. Mm -hmm. Totally. Uh, and that definitely makes some sense. Uh, very topical for the news that we were just mentioning, right? The volatility that we're experiencing in cryptocurrency. To us, it feels kind of normal because we understand that that's the ebb and flow of innovation in this crazy financial technology. We expect it to be a bumpy road. My parents look at that and go, I would be losing my my gourd. I, I'd be I, I wouldn't be able to keep it together. The the stress of watching that constant uh, turnover in the market would drive me crazy. So I I can see why this would be a more acceptable entry point. This idea of having like a stable cryptocurrency that you could always redeem for uh, you know some sort of USD equivalent or some other currency that it's pegged to. Yeah. And so over time, there's been a bunch of different designs for how you build a stable coin. And so the, the purpose of this episode is really to just show off some of the, these high level experiments and, and show that, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can create stability in crypto. Um, and so the first broad set of buckets that stable coins exist in are what are called collateralized and uncollateralized. So let's just start with collateralized first. Um, just as kind of a reminder, this, this term really just means like, uh, locking some value away, um, in order to like take some, some loan out. Uh, so right. in stable coins, that means specifically locking at least a dollar's worth of value to be able to mint a new stable coin. 
Right. It's just like if you want a loan from the bank, you they will generally ask, what, what do you have in collateral? And the more collateral you put up, generally the bigger loan that they'll give you because it's a risk assessment. If you default on the loan, then generally they can take whatever you put up for collateral. So the game theory of that creates this incentive structure where you probably don't want to lose your collateral. And as long as you keep paying the agreed upon to terms for the loan, none of your stuff is really ever in jeopardy. So it's it's like a pretty good balance of risk reward for both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and within the collateralized bucket there are two sub buckets. Um and it's really kind of a um uh, a spectrum. Uh so on the one side you have centralized collateralized stable coins. Um so for this the the design of the stable coin is for every US dollar that sits in a legacy financial system bank account, then one token is allowed to be minted. Uh, so a couple examples of here uh, of this uh, are Tether, this is a large currency, third largest market cap, uh, about 58.5 billion Tether exists today. Um, this is also one of the oldest and most popular stable coins. Uh, this was launched back in July 2014. Um, but you know this wow. requires trust in a third party there is there is a company that holds all of that us dollar in the bank and in order to interact with tether you have to trust that that company has the amount of money that exists in that bank right uh, th this is as close to a bank as it gets i, I mean this is very centralized um, they're they're taking in cryptocurrency and then giving something else out. Like one of Take, the big criticisms, taking in fiat and putting and giving out crypto. Yeah, currency. like one of the big big um, criticisms of banks is like how much capital do they need to maintain relative to the money that they have outstanding on the books? It hasn't been one to one for a really long time, and that's scary, right? But you realize it doesn't really need to be one to one. You can assume a little more risk than that, and it goes all the way down until it gets to this breaking point of you're risking a run on the bank if there's any variance and more than the absolute average flow of consumers show up at the same time and say, hey, I want to cash in my tokens for real money. If you've only got 2% of those outstanding IOUs in reserves, well, then it only takes more than 2% of your user base to cause a really, really big problem. So that's a good example of what we talk, what we mean kind of when we say it's centralized and you have to trust this this third-party intermediary that holds everything. And it's up to yeah. them to decide what their reserve is. We don't even get a say. It's not like we have a vote on that or something. Yeah, I mean, and, and Tether in particular is, over time, has been one of the shadiest projects that I have seen in crypto. And it absolutely amazes me that it is still the third largest by market cap. Um, so couple of what I mean by shady here, uh, first, right off the bat, when they launched on their website, they said that they had a dollar USD for every token fully backed. They had recurring audits. Um, and over the years, they just they yanked that off the website. They're like, oh, that's a that's a detail that we don't need to show people. Uh, and so back in. Uh, oh, so, yeah, even if you go to their home page now, I was doing a little research here. Uh, they show their like official. Uh, audit on the front page is from 2018 from some independent law firm where they said that they had 2.5 billion in the bank. Uh, but it specifically states that 
the above confirmation of bank and tether balances should not con be construed as the results of an audit and were conducted in accordance uh, and were not uh, conducted in accordance with generally accepted auditing standards basically <laughs> saying like maybe there's some money in here i'm not gonna say we yeah we kind of yeah. did the bare minimum of what you could call an audit yeah i yeah. see that there and this has just continued like in january they settled with the new york attorney general for uh 18.5 million dollar fine because they admitted that it wasn't fully backed and they had uh yeah, in March was, uh, they said that it was like 75% backed by cash and equivalents. By May, there was an audit that showed that it was 49% backed by uh, an unspecified commercial paper, which isn't even US dollars. It's like uh, an asset that can be quickly changed for US dollar, uh, given some like company that exists and the risk that exists nice in that and company. Nice and open-ended. Yeah, probably yeah, no, yeah. no room for trickery there. Um, no, definitely. <laughs> and if you're wondering, like, well, it could be U.S. dollars, right? It could be. But if it were, they would say that because that is definitely better optics. That'd be a so plus side. They, they had it on their <laughs> side at the beginning, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oof. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't give investment advice. Uh, but as an amateur life coach, I would recommend <laughs> that you don't hold Tether <laughs> because this is a legitimate concern like this is there could i could definitely see a, a scenario in the future uh, looking back at the history books at the tether incident yeah, um totally. and it, all it takes is uh knowledge that like someone walked away with a big portion of the money a another thing that happened over the years uh one of the countries that one of those bank accounts were in the government uh, i forget it was like argentina or was it south american country um they just like took a bunch of the the money out of it and like uh, I, I forget why they said but <laughs> they just confiscated it so it's like even if it is that they're not lying and that like all this exists like you're still trusting all the governments and all the yeah. central intermediaries and yeah yeah but luckily they're not the only one right uh it, yeah. you, like you said they're one of the oldest 2014 things were a little different yeah. back then um and some new guys have come along the big one i've been seeing a lot is usdc yeah, and uh, quick correction, Tether is the fourth largest. I said uh, third, that's ah, Binance. Fourth, But okay. anyway, yes, USDC launched in 2019 by uh, this company called Center, which is a joint venture of a company, Circle and Coinbase, which you may have heard of as the largest U.S. exchange. Um, yeah. And, you know, generally seen as trustworthy. This They have sort of like the backing of, of the... Uh, of Coinbase and like they exist in the United States. There's like some auditing there. Um, and now Visa settles USDC on Ethereum. Um, so like this is an example of a centralized, collateralized stablecoin that has achieved more trust. But like, I think the important part for this section is that uh, a collateralized, centralized stablecoin uh, does not attempt to minimize trust or be decentralized at all. Um, I mean, USDC was, um, they blacklisted an address at the, for, and froze like a hundred thousand dollars at the request of law enforcement. And like, they may have had every good reason for that. Uh, um, that's why, you know, all of the existing financial system exists where they have the ability to freeze money, but like, we already have that. Uh, and to me, uh, I think longer term, we're moving to a place where you can have this concept of a credible neutrality where, uh, there is just like money is a thing that doesn't have to require someone else holding it. And just like cash, dollars, cash, you can you can exp 
you can not have to uh, ask for permission to use it. Okay, so similar, but also a bit different. Looks like we're improving here. Uh, another collateral collateralized uh, one of these these stable coins. How much further yeah. deeper down the rabbit hole can we go, buddy? Yeah, so now we head toward the more decentralized end of the spectrum. Um, and so this aligns a bit more with the goals of crypto to minimize trust, minimize third parties, mm -hmm. um, and just have a stable coin that exists that's pegged to the dollar that doesn't require uh, an intermediary. So first example of this uh, was DAI. It was created by MakerDAO. We talked about them in the DAOs episode. Uh, the way MakerDAO's uh, protocol works is they give anyone the ability to mint die. And in order to mint die, you need to put a $1.50's worth of value and lock it away in a smart contract. When version one of Maker came out, it was only specifically Ether. So you had to lock away a $1.50's worth of Ether in a smart contract to, to mint one die. Um, hmm. And with version two, they introduced new assets, things like wrapped Bitcoin. Um, even other stable coins can now back die. Um, so but you're but, you're paying a dollar fifty to mint a coin that is like definitively worth a dollar. It's like a penny. You're paying two cents yeah. to make something that's worth one cent. Yeah, and it's okay. It's done. It does that <laughs> for safety, right? If it was just a dollar worth of value then in a flash crash like yesterday um suddenly people might lose trust in die if all of the collateral uh, just evaporated and people weren't given enough time to re-collateralize their die um then it's like not enough liquidity balance kind of thing like yeah the, the bank so that isn't deep enough to oh okay so that extra 50 percent there so that 150 percent backing yeah is a safety net um, and there is this other kind of mechanism that exists where even if there was this like flash crash incident where, you know, the value of all the backing of die dropped so significantly and quickly, then there's this whole mechanism where the maker MKR governance token exists as a backstop to die's value. Uh, oh. We don't have enough time to get into that. But it's but, kind of like an insurance policy, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's one example. This is this is well used and pretty well trusted within DeFi. Um, a lot of protocols are, are tying in and to allowing people to use DAI. Um, you can earn a lot of interest in DAI. Um, and yeah, uh, it's pretty successful so far. And what, what's um, the, the market cap look like on this guy? 4.5 billion, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty no good tether, uh, but it's, yeah. it's, it's chugging along. <laughs> Uh, the next one really quickly, uh, within this decentralized collateralized stablecoin bucket is, uh, SUSD. This was created by another DeFi protocol called synthetics, um, that focuses specifically on minting and creating synthetic versions of assets. Um, so it has kind of a broader vision than just maker who's specifically focused on die and pegging to the dollar um synthetics has this like basket of additional synthetic assets that can be used to mint susd which is their stable coin gotcha okay that uh, that makes some sense much smaller by market cap it's like yeah. two 220 million like rank 250 something like that okay. so very yeah. small coin in comparison definitely 
So that brings us to the second bucket. The this everything we talked about before is what we call the collateralized stable coins, and now this idea of a non-collateralized stable coin. <laughs> now, before I go into the different specifics here, the reason why uh, there is experimentation in this area is that a non-collateralized stablecoin is theoretically more efficient than a collateralized stablecoin. If you think about having to lock away a dollar fifty just to mint a new dollar coin, then that's over time and with a large enough audience of users, uh, you know, you have to put away more value than you're you're minting out into those into this uh, new stablecoin. So a non-collateralized stablecoin could be a, an interesting alternative here where we don't have to lock away value. We could just come up with a way to peg a coin to a dollar. Um, and so what we've seen is a whole okay. list of different approaches here. It's it's interesting that this is one of those like I it sounds cool conceptually having trouble wrapping the old brain around what that actually looks like a non yeah. stable coin. So what makes the freaking thing stable? Non-collateralized. Non sorry, uh, non-collateralized. So like, yeah. If, yeah, if there's nothing backing it, what makes it stable? So even repeating it back here, I'm getting tongue-tied, man. <laughs> so, all right, the first instance of this that we saw, and again, all of this is like new exploratory experimentation territory. Uh, this first one is very much of of this in this bucket because it's this idea of re of rebasing uh, stablecoin. And the way that this works is um, you think about Dai as this uh, mechanism where it's trying to kind of incentivize demand for Dai by allowing people to um, like lock away ether or some asset that they don't want to sell and be able to like give themselves a loan. So they're they're kind of incentivizing like demand. Um, it doesn't and... care about market cap, basically, right? right. It, it's it's all about pegging the value, but the market cap will just change. Like doesn't really care about supply or how many get minted because it's backed by something. So you don't really have to think about what that limit is. It's it's limitless based on the limit of what it's pegged to, which is a dollar fifty USD for every dollar die that's made. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Okay. So this alternative approach, uh, this rebasing idea, the way this works is by uh, not attempting to really like peg the value of you holding the token to a stable uh, thing, like the the way that <laughs> the collateralized versions did this. Uh, instead, it manipulates the supply. So this is programmable money. We have the ability to program it to do things like create more of itself in your wallet or subtract itself from your wallet. And essentially, we can program the supply of money to expand and contract uh, equally all over in everybody's wallets. Um, and so the first instance of this idea is this uh, project that's called Ampleforth. Um, and so this was like launched by a venture capitalist funded project. Um, and it's basically what I just described. Like the way that this works is when the price starts to go above a dollar, uh, the wallet balances will increase to um, uh, like counteract that action. And then when the price dips below a dollar, the wallet balances will decrease. Um, and go ahead. So, so the key here, I guess, is that your, your percentage ownership of, of the net of the total, 
uh, tokens out there stays consistent, but the supply changes, so the number of them in your wallet is constantly changing. And this is to try to meet that demand of stabilization. Like it goes up when people buy it because people are buying, you know, that's general tokenomics, right? And then when people sell it, the price goes down. If more people sell it than buy it, that's where you see the swings and vice versa. So this tries to compensate for that by adjusting the supply to try to keep it pegged as close as they can to a dollar. But when you look at the, like, I'm looking at this graph on Coinbase, like, or uh, sorry, a coin market cap, it's worth 69 cents right now. So it's not a dollar. Yeah. But that's because what we're describing is like this mechanism not not working at 100% accuracy. It's trying to go back and forth and counteract these market incentives. And basically, the fact that it's worth 69 cents right now means that the the mechanism is is failing to some degree. Am I interpreting this correctly? Yeah, okay. you're correct. And the, this idea of the rebasing mechanism, I haven't looked at their project in a while, but I, my rough understanding here is that with these rebasing coins, they are set to, if, the, if there is a, a sufficient percentage of deviance from the peg, then it will kick in uh, once a day at max. Uh, and okay. so like this adjustment can kind of occur over time. And if it's close enough, it just kind of lets the market try to get closer to a dollar. Otherwise, if it starts going off, it'll kind of rebase itself. Um, Interesting. So th this this uh, this project was it came at with a lot of sort of like mm, pessimism, I guess, like unassuredness, because like everything that we're describing, like this idea that it, you're still owning a, a portion of the network that exists and like the value that exists, your wallet's like moving on its own. Um, yeah. Is that really a stable coin? Like, is that so different than something like Bitcoin where the va your percentage of the network is fixed and the value in your wallet is going up and down? Like uh, maybe stable coin by definition, but like really coming in, uh, under the wire with that, like technically, it's yeah. A <laughs> we're you know we're really talking about like three different variables. You know, like how much is in your wallet, how much supply is in the network, and then what the the active like price of the market determines each share to be. So with Bitcoin and all these others, as you just said, really the variable is in the price. The supply is, well, sort of fixed, right? It has a very uh, predictable schedule as it's released. And the amount in your wallet is fixed unless you specifically change it. So this just changes that one variable out of the three from the market price, that stays fixed, and then the number in your wallet moves around. So it's still economics, though. Something still has to move around. It's not... If nothing's moving, yeah. then... We're just trading rocks with each other. You know, it's, it's, it still has yeah, to be relative much. to something, I guess is what I'm bumbling to say, right? Yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, and like, so more interesting maybe than Ampleforth is some projects that have come out of it, or at least some ideas maybe. Um, at first was this fork of Ample called Yam. Uh, yeah, Yam. Uh, and there's now like three different versions of this. <laughs> I was I remember this pretty pretty clearly. I was like hanging out uh, on a vacation in San Diego, and uh, Yam V1 launched. And within like 24 hours, uh, there was a critical bug in the code, and like uh, it immediately just like failed right out the gate on day one. And so they like pushed a fix with V2, whatever. But um, more interestingly, it, it popularized this idea of a community fork. So Ample was this like VC funded project where the uh, 
uh, early stakeholders got to, you know, mint themselves a, a good portion of the total supply of mm -hmm. Ampleforth. And Yam, when it forked that, it just kicks all of that out of it, right? It's it's now sort of a what uh, later was a, a term that was eventually used for sort of this idea. It's kind of like it's closer to a fair launch where mm -hmm. it's like... Um, it's it, maybe there's an interesting idea here, but you know there's already some centralization of the total supply that has occurred. If we need that, if we want this to like be a successful project, we want to remove as much of that as possible. Um, that that introduces this kind of idea of a community fork. Okay, that, that, there's some value there. Yeah. I, I see you're getting at. Yeah. So tell me about these algorithmic incentive-based uh, stable coins, because now we're really starting to get into like this deep nether of philosophical uh pegging here that i've i've just never experienced uh yeah i mean when it comes to the rebasing i don't know that you want to experience that pegging <laughs> <laughs> um because like rebasing coins yeah uh, that that's like step one uh so algorithmic incentive based stable coins uh are basically this idea of um trying to maintain stability of this one dollar peg um, but by doing this through uh, incentive mechanisms to reward actors that are trying to promote stability within the protocol. Um, and so what I mean by that is if the peg slips uh, above or below a dollar, it creates this arbitrage opportunity for holders of the token to go make money um, in the act of repegging the value of uh, the currency to a dollar. So if, if it starts to slip one way or the other, they can um, go either like mint new tokens uh, or burn new to uh, old tokens and be rewarded for that activity with new uh, hmm. value. So, and for those that aren't aware, like arbitrage is this idea that, uh, let's say you have two exchanges, exchange A and exchange B. Right, both of them have their own pulse on the network of transactions and have a slightly different offering of the real-time price in which you can buy anything. And this is a concept that isn't unique to crypto; it exists in regular financial worlds as well. Anything that has exchanges, all different exchanges. Well, and this is uh, also what people talk about with different currencies, like people that that utilize international arbitrage. If you can trade very quickly, someone that might be offering you, you know, a dollar five per euro instead of a dollar 10 somewhere else well there's a little profit margin in between there and if you have a, a lot of dollars that five cents on each dollar adds up to be a substantial amount of money amount of money for basically just making a trade that abuses this lag time or difference in analysis of the market so um yeah that's yeah, a great example or description. Not not particularly complicated, but it definitely applies to crypto. And the fact that all this is digital means that there are situations where the, the speed is such that um, arbitrage can be a really effective way to make some money. Yeah. And in this case, it can be put toward keeping a token pegged to a dollar. So the the one of the first examples of this is called empty set dollar. Uh, the idea of empty set is it's like, oh, it's not collateralized by anything. It's just empty, but it pegged to a dollar. If you pull <laughs> okay. up that price chart, uh, you'll see that that didn't turn out to be the case. Uh, th <laughs> this was not a successful project. It's 71 um, cents right now. That's not a dollar. <laughs> no, it's 71. I thought it was even less. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Seven. Oh, my gosh. Seven. That, there's yes. a zero yes. there. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. 0.071 cents. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay. 
People got really excited about this project when it came out. The value spiked up to $15, <laughs> which again, if you're buying a dollar pegged stable coin for $15 or no, a, a dollar 50, a dollar 50, a dollar 50. That's better. Yes. Yeah. Knowing that the goal is to like eventually approach a dollar. That's, it's a little scary territory. Um, but yeah, Even it, a buck 50 scary, dude. That's a 50% margin difference. That's uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty wide. <laughs> yeah. No, knowing that the goal is to get your dollar 50 down to a dollar is, is a scary trade though. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, so it, it it lasted roughly around a dollar for like three months, and then it just lost its peg in, in January of 2021. Okay. Um, yeah, next one here, maybe a little more interesting. So it's uh, FEI or FEI, F-E-I is the token, if you're going to have okay. to pronounce it. Uh, this launched in April. It claims to be a more capital efficient, uh, has a, a more fair distribution, and is more decentralized. Um, I really haven't taken the time to learn about how these two projects differentiate. I just know that they kind of fall under this umbrella. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, so far it's done better than empty set dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's at 98 cents at least. I also just realized this website has a dark mode that I wish I'd been using this whole oh, time. Yeah. So uh, so sorry, not them. sorry, YouTube watchers. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, just just another example of one of these new new experiments. Uh, okay. That brings us to the last bucket of non-collateralized uh, stable coins that we're going to talk about today. Okay. Um, these are the non-pegged so ones, right? I jumped ahead earlier. This is non. Uh, no, no, no. The the, the, the non-pegged is now the final bucket that we're going to talk about. Previously, yes, exactly. we were just talking about algorithmic incentive based. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 So now that brings us to non-pegged stable coins, and and. First, we'll talk about this from a philosophical perspective. Everything that we just talked about, this whole idea of stable coins, um, you could really define them as pegged coins because the goal is to peg them to a US dollar. Uh, so an alternative here is to think about stability in, in again, a more philosophic, philosophical perspective uh, and think that maybe there's someday an alternative uh, stable coin that isn't specifically just pegged to a fiat currency. Maybe it's philosophically just this value, uh, this token that like attempts to kind of keep its peg stabilized um, around whatever environment variables we put into that. Um, in, in the case of, of this hmm. one example here, Rye, um, it uses what's called a redemption rate to adjust its stability that you can kind of think of this a little similar to this uh, incentive-based uh, idea here, where um, the goal here is to keep the value of the token pegged to the redemption, uh, keep the redemption rate stable with the value um, and change the redemption rate when the value starts to, to unpeg. This particular token started at $3.14, because Pi is cool and because they needed a starting point. Based Arbitrary in... in nature, so might as well pick yes. a cool number. Okay. Yep. And, um, it's, and it's right now... 303, what? right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, roughly stable. Um, this, this sort of begs the question of, like, what exactly uh, is, like, what does this look like long-term? Uh, is this, like, we have this sort of, like, idea of this algorithm that, like, changes to incentivize different people to keep things... Uh, roughly around the, this like target price, and, and to be honest, like I don't know. Uh, I, I think a lot of this is just so new. This came out uh, just a couple of months ago, um, 
But I think what interests me more about this particular implementation of it um, is this idea of us maybe trying to move toward a world where we could have stable coins that exist separately from fiat financial systems. Um, that just so sounds maybe like it, printing money, though, brah. It does, right? That's what. That's essentially what we're talking about but here. We're, talking we're also about doing money. that anyway all the time. So is it really that different? Man, <laughs> I'm baking my brain into a noodle. There's an important distinction that exists. When you print money and hand it out to your friends, uh, that isn't going to be a, a great system long term. When you print money in a way that uh, it is no one has this elevated privilege over other people and anyone can print money by just minting it, whether you're putting okay. value into it through collateralized. You're arguing uh, for systems. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. The, one yes. is I, money I, printer go, and the other one is, hey, we're going to print some money, but in these controlled variables under these circumstances with these people, and it's fair under these rules. Yes, yes. Gotcha. And, and okay. in particular, Rye's goal here, um, their specific wording is that they are trying to minimize governance uh, and specifically human governance as much as possible because they believe that human discretion is what makes assets coercible uh, and therefore unstable long term. And like there's, there's a little bit of validity to that statement. Okay. Um, a, like a purely US algorithmic stable coin. Sort of what Dai is, but they're trying to take it to like the next level with no collateral. That's yeah. okay. All right, that's a big target, but I, I respect the game. That's uh, that, that's a, yeah. a cool, cool philosophical idea. I, I see some of the value. Yeah. Again, I think my my thought with this whole episode and going through all these different examples isn't so much like to to say which ones are going to win long term it's really to just show that there's just like a ton of experimentation that's happening in this and that like the stable coins that exist today are not going to be the same stable coins that exist 10 years from now or 20 years from now um like i think the important takeaway here is that um we're trying to make better and better stable coins mm -hmm. and we're trying to do it because there is a large global demand for monetary stability. Like we need the ability to have money that doesn't collapse 40% last week. Right. Well, and we need more on ramps for crypto in general and specifically some of these decentralized uh, financial protocols, this new DeFi environment that we keep talking about. It's really scary to have to think about these different layers of risk where you have dollars, then you have to buy this digital currency that could fluctuate with these huge amounts. Then you're using that to buy an NFT or another token to get access to another platform. And every layer, there's variance in those prices that could be independent from each other. And that's really scary to folks that are used to just putting their money in the bank account, getting maybe 1% interest back on the year, and just kind of being happy that their money is safe and taken care of and um that's it so it it is just a fundamental big change and i think stable coins play like a really key role in that new user experience right yeah definitely and i mean to your earlier point like I, I do really think of stable coins as the on ramps into DeFi. they are the connecting bridges to all of the other legacy financial systems to allow people to bring what they already know, what they already have, uh, and upload it onto the internet. That's mm. that's essentially what's happening in DeFi. We are uploading all of these old systems onto the internet. 
um, and we're bringing all the old monies with us. And then we have this like new level playing field where access to any stable coin is one internet connection, one click away. Um, and, and so it brings, uh, they are an on-ramp into DeFi and DeFi is this like connector where all of them can now live in this way that like they can interact with each other uh, in in just a purely internet-based fashion. Yeah, well, and it, it extends the connection of the network. Like I think Visa takes USDC now. I think there's a couple of governments that really want to be like crypto tax havens where you can pay your taxes in stable coins, either USDC or Tether. Um, and I forget if it's one of the islands or I was just reading about it the other day and I already forgot. But um, there's also... Um, um, yeah. The, yeah, there's a European country that lets you pay in like Bitcoin and Ether now. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be Estonia. Maybe a couple of them at this point. Yeah, that might be list. one. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. But yeah, being able to use like these DeFi tools under the hood and kind of not realize it. Like if you just want to dip your toe into the pond, it's really cool to have that interface on the top and that back end that is so robust and can connect into so many different things. Really cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's... That's uh, an important point to leave it, and then we'll go into the lightning round. Like the average user of DeFi long enough term probably won't even really know that they're using DeFi under the hood. If their user experience can remain roughly the same, Mm -hmm. or even if like the institutions that they use uh, just switch their less efficient backends for DeFi under the hood, then people can start earning uh, interest in DeFi without even really having to do much different than what they, they're doing today. Um, so I think DeFi yeah. under the hood is really how most people will start to interact with it uh, without even realizing. Definitely. And uh, I think we're both in agreement that one of the best ways to understand this stuff is to dive in with relatively small amounts, you know, just $50, amounts that you can start understanding how the protocols work, what it feels like to make these exchanges and move things around, um, and then start to really see that world that it opens up for you. But uh, let's do some lightning round questions, buddy. Let's wrap this thing up. Yeah. So right off the bat, like what are the attributes of a good stablecoin. Ah, here you go. So just like everything else in the cryptocurrency space, it's a spectrum, right? It's a series of trade-offs, decentralization versus stability versus potential earnings, all this kind of stuff. You want a really good peg. That's the first thing. Um, Usually a fiat currency, one-to-one or close to it is your dream, right? Uh, Dollars are much better than... What was the term earlier, Kevin? These these paper uh, paper assets, unspecified. Unspecified oh. paper, whatever's uh, anything that says yeah. unspecified, you might want to stay away from. I just want to throw that unspecified out there. Unspecified commercial paper. There you go. Unspecified commercial paper. I really don't know what that means. And I Googled it and I didn't really get a clear answer either. So that's like a potential red flag. Uh, trust minimization. That's something that I think we're always going to push. Are you reliant on one centralized third party that holds all the cards, all the coins, all the money? Or is there something like DAI that has a trust? mechanism. If it's backed by a DAO, then there's probably less trust involved from a single source perspective. Um, And credible neutrality, kind of in that same level, uh, that same sphere. Is there an angle? Who's holding the money? Um, I think all these things are factors you you need to consider when evaluating the different options for stable coins out there. Don't buy Tether. (laughs) Please. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, right. yeah. All right, so, cool. uh, what happens when collateral in a stable coin loses its value? Uh, and basically what I mean by that, what if the dollar crashes, right? Die is backed by dollars. There's a 50% margin there from that extra 50 cents. What if the dollar drops by 60% over the next two days? Yeah, well, that or the alternative of like, what if the, um, like in the case of die, it's, what if uh, I have a dollar fifties worth of ether backing my die, uh, and suddenly the ether is worth fifty percent of what it was? Right? Then that's like this idea of the collateral is now l worth uh, less than the initial amount, and like uh, the way that uh, so let's use die in particular. Um, the way that die works is you know you have to lock away a dollar fifties worth of value um, at any time. You can go send your die back and retrieve your underlying collateral you can take it back um uh, but if the value of the collateral that you have in there begins to drop you generally uh need to put more collateral in there if you want to be the person that's minting die um because otherwise what will occur if you continue to allow your collateral to drop and it goes below that dollar 50 value then um, this mechanism occurs of liquidation. So these liquidation robots, uh, you can think of these, this idea of like oh. money robots are, are basically just like scripts that live, uh, on Ethereum that, uh, are meant to go and, and like take action, uh, to that are like, they're incentivized to constantly watch these vaults and if they become under collateralized then they are they earn a fee they're called keepers uh they earn a fee if they liquidate someone who is under collateralized um and so again this is sort of like an, an incentive mechanism to like ensure an efficient uh approach to the network uh but the makes this, sense the important yeah the, the important takeaway here is that like to use die, you don't have to mint die. Uh, I think of minting die like the real use case for that is you own a lot of ether, you own a lot of some other asset, um, and you don't want to sell it, but you still need dollars. You live in the real world; you have to pay rent. Um, so what you can do is you take your your ether, you put it in in the maker vault, and you take a loan out against it. And now you have dollars. You didn't have a taxable sale of your ether, um, and so that's sort of the use case. But like you don't have to do that. You can just go on an exchange like Uniswap and, and just buy just it one to one, and just it's try just it. yeah a regular old stable coin. That's pretty genius. It's a way that. Yeah provide a lockup incentive to people that have a lot of ETH holdings and not a lot to do with it, especially if it's appreciated a lot. And it creates a really stable coin for consumers that has a a really pretty, I mean, 50% is a pretty safe margin uh, for holdings because that's also cost averaged of whenever people mint die, right? So it's not just the yeah. current price, it's over time. And that average is out to be a, a, probably a pretty safe holding. I, I guess it hasn't failed yet, right? So they, they're doing something right. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, yeah. like, um, the, it, it has maintained its peg very well o over time. So um, the, this idea I mentioned earlier is that, like, if there is this sort of, like, cataclysmic event, then the value of the MKR token is a final backstop. We haven't even had that happen yet. Um, oh, so okay. That's something. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. At this point, it's still uh, a bit theoretical. Or I mean, the code's there, but yeah. Anyway, um, so, cool. So yeah. yeah next uh, question here. Can, oh, can uh, anybody just make a stable coin? I was thinking about this earlier. Like, 
I I first had trouble wrapping my brain around stable coins because of this idea. Aren't we just like printing money? And then, um, you know, I understood a lot of them are collateralized. So that sort of makes sense. It's a transfer of value, not just a creation of value. But we know how easy it is to create like ERC-20 tokens. Uh, we've seen this meme coin craze, you know, the stupid Shiba Inu coins and stuff. Um, can you just make a stable coin the same way that we could make, uh, you know, cat coin or butt coin or whatever other coin we want just by copy and pasting some code? So, yeah, the theoretically, anyone can fork any of these, right? We saw Yam was just this fork of Ampleforth. Um, you can go create your own fork of DAI. Um, the important thing is here is that, like, these are real uh like live systems that require incentive mechanisms they require users they require capital um and so it's really important to understand the the stable coin that you're interacting with and um i think the most important metric here is how centralized and trustless something is Tr uh, centralized uh, and uh uh trust maximizing versus decentralized and trustless um okay. And, you know, Tether essentially can do this, right? They are doing this to a degree. They are printing money that is not pegged by real or that is not collateralized by real U.S. dollars. Um, and because it is in this like closed door black box system called legacy financial system, <laughs> uh, you and I can't go see that they have that money there. You yeah. can go you can have a a. a, a bot that exists that scans die and looks at the code of die and sees that at any given point there is always a dollar 50s worth uh, of uh crypto that backs die right so it's designed is... to not be a black box like through yes. it from its inception so that that just gives it this inherent value i had somebody ask sorry to interrupt but i had somebody ask me yeah, the other yeah. day like you know you say it's transparent but does anybody actually look and check the numbers and it was hard for me to frame the the conversation they're like well i haven't checked the numbers but when a system is designed to be like explicitly transparent like in every aspect of it it becomes very easy for people that are so inclined to check the numbers to do so so that's how it becomes like this decentralized sort of twitch chat type activity where um, a lot of different people are checking different parts in different moments and because it's so transparent by design, it's easy to do that. It, it's just way, it's a different sort of environment than working in an environment where it's all black boxes and we only get to see quarterly statements that they're required by law to give us. It's just a fundamentally different framing of how to do this stuff. Yeah, it's an entirely different game theoretical world that yes. now exists, right? Yes. It's like, uh, I, I liken that argument to that episode of It's Always Sunny where um, Mac is trying to argue that um, evolution is not real. And he's like, uh, I think uh, Dennis is like, well, there's like fossil records and there's like, there's like texts and volumes and volumes of data. And, and Mac's like, but have you looked at this data yourself? Have you seen these fossil records yourself? It's like, no. But <laughs> there's an entire like world separation of of uh, facts and, and and like of um, just like ability to go see these things versus just like believing in faith that you yes. know evolution's not real or that Tether has a dollar in in the bank account for every dollar yes. that they have in Tether. And it's not to say we'll always get it right, but at least it's out there for yeah. all of us to see. So, yeah. Anyway, so final question yeah. here: uh, What about? 
coins that are pegged to something else like ETH or BTC. Um, I, I've seen WETH uh, and WBTC. Are those considered stable coins? What, what are those? Yeah, these are pretty cool. And I guess technically they're not called stable coins because they're not stable to anything outside of the crypto ecosystem. But within the ecosystem, sometimes it comes in handy to have a currency that isn't Ethereum, but is worth the exact same amount as Ethereum that you can move to side chains and things like that. I think that that was my first experience with it. You didn't move ETH to the side chain, you moved wrapped ETH to the side chain, and then use that to interact with the ecosystem on the side chain that you're using. Um, and the advantage of that, I guess, is wrapped ETH can do things that regular ETH can't, but you can interact in uh in such a way with the sidechain that it's lower risk. It's the same general concept of stable coins where I know that my ETH is equal, whatever ETH is equal to, I don't have to assume another layer of volatility by going dollar to ETH to another token to sidechain. It, it re removes one layer of risk from that whole equation. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, it's really a separation in terminology here. Like th they it is essentially wrapped Bitcoin is like pegged to Bitcoin. Um, but I think that the separation in terminology is just like wrapped versus pegged. Pegged is used for like stable coins, meaning sure. like the, the yeah. value is stable. Whereas like wrapped Bitcoin or wrapped Ether is this like wrapper that exists on top of one Ether or one Bitcoin. It is worth noting that again, these are not created equally. When you wrap Ether, it exists in a smart contract and you can at any time, you can put one ETH in and it gives you out one wrapped Ether. Mm -hmm. You can take one wrapped ether put it in and it gives you out one ether you can do this all on your own with wrapped bitcoin you have to go through a central intermediary where you give them your bitcoin um, in the meat space world and you have to trust that they're not going to walk away with that bitcoin yeah. um, and again like this is another one of the downsides of bitcoin being on its own shitty little old network it in order for bitcoin to interact with DeFi you have to start trusting third parties again. Um, and, yeah. and that, uh, yeah. that's it's not uh, the name of the game. Yeah, not, not to open a can of worms, but that might be one of the limitations of Bitcoin, my friend. So um, maybe that's a, a good place to park it here. Folks, this was a, a longer episode, but I think we got through a lot of really good stuff. I had a couple people asking me when we were going to do the episode on stable coins, and I'm glad it ended up being so timely with stuff that's going on in the market. Uh, Kevin, it's always a pleasure, man. Always looking forward to the next episode, and we still have so much in the pipeline. Uh, remember that none of this is financial advice and that you can find all of these podcasts on Zayori.tv slash the new blocks. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, as well as probably right here on YouTube where most of you watch. We appreciate all your love. Give us a comment. Give us a like. Give us a follow. It means the world. We'll catch you next time on the new blocks. Thanks, y'all.